Are you ready for an open discussion with the best of the best and the best of what's next? Welcome to the Tony D'Urso Show. Join in on a great conversation today with some of the world's great influencers as they showcase great advice and techniques that made them the game changers they are today. Now, here's Tony D'Urso. Welcome. Thanks for hanging out with us today. We're chatting with someone at the top of their category, an elite entrepreneur. And we're going to talk about how to get respected and liked as a leader in 2022 with Hamish Thompson. Now, as an entrepreneur or small business owner, do you consider yourself as a leader? You may have people helping you out on a subcontract basis where you hire out parts of your business. And in that regard, you may consider yourself the only employee, and you may not consider yourself as a leader. However, in essence, as you have people who work for you, even if on a specific task basis, you're still a leader to them. Yes, you pay them for their work, but have you ever considered your business as more than just a job for hire? And what if you have a team under you, whether hired or not, whether full-time or part-time, do you consider yourself a leader in any way? And the reason I ask this is because growing up in the corporate scene, I never considered myself as a leader, as that title was always something that only the top boss had. It's a strange idea, isn't it? But it's true. Only the top, top boss was the leader. You're a manager, but you weren't a leader. This is how it was back then. Today, it's changed. If you're in charge or you manage anyone, you're their boss. You're their leader. And now we come to the part about getting respected and liked. Just because you pay someone, does that mean they respect and like you? Were you ever on the flip side where, where you really didn't like the boss, yet you continued doing the job because of the money? I've met too many people like that. So let's change things up now. What about getting respect and liked as a leader by those working for you? Would that change the playing field? Would it get more done? Would the business grow as a result? Now, we do this because we want to help you and your friends turn your vision into reality. And we want to help you get respected and liked as a leader. Meet Hamish Thompson. He's a seasoned global leadership executive. In a 30-year career, he's been a successful CEO and regional president and global brand head for Mars Incorporated a senior marketing and sales lead for Reebok International, and you could say a fresh-faced account executive in the London advertising scene. His new book title, as you can see it here if you're on video, It's Not Always Right to Be Right and Other Hard-Won Leadership Lessons. I think that says it all. Let's get into it. Hi, Hamish. Welcome to the Tony D'Urso Show. Hello, Tony. Great to be with you. Hamish, we're all looking forward to learning more about how to get respected and liked as a leader in 2022. I know it sounds crazy. As I mentioned, we never considered our leaders ourselves as leaders way back then. Today, it's a, it's a whole big thing. It's a whole new change, even for me. But before we kind of get into that, I'd love to know, and my audience as well, what's your, bar, what's your backstory? Tell us how it all started for you. 
Well, it's a, it's an interesting one, Tony. I've, I'm unashamedly, I'm a corporate guy for around 30 years. So I'm a New Zealander originally, even though I live in Australia, I've, uh, I've still got that small man syndrome. So we like to think ourselves a little bit sort of different on that front. But I've lived probably most of my working career across within Europe, a fair bit within the US as well. And it was probably two years ago that um, I've had a wonderful career within Mars, as you introduced within CEO, probably for the last sort of 12 years in regards to different environments. And I'm one of these people, I like doing things different, new and exciting. So I wanted to have a change. My wife and my former boss still think I was crazy, but I resigned two years ago. Um, and I wanted to tra try a new perspective and a new challenge. So the book came around in regard to how can I document some sort of lifelong learnings that I've had, not technical or functional, but leadership lessons, mainly for my kids who never listen to you, as you're probably well aware. Um, and lo and behold, uh, we had discussions with Wiley and uh, we've published it into, uh, into a book with 17 different sort of authors giving their perspectives insights, observations. So it's been different, it's been fun, and most importantly, it's given me a whole new perspective and uh, diversity of thought, which uh, I absolutely love. Hamish, can you take us into that vision that wound up, wound up, is that correct grammar, that landed you in the top corporate leadership roles? I mean, very impressive companies. So you, Fresh out of school, you said, hey, I'm going to go work in corporate and be a big boss. Tell us about that vision. I don't know if there was a vision, to be honest, Tony. It's um, I've always been a very ambitious person, and I'm incredibly results-oriented and uh, action-oriented. Um, theory without substance absolutely annoys me, and it's detested me sort of from, uh, from day one. But I never really had a set career ambition as to where I, where I would get to. And one of the elements that I'm a passionate believer in now is trying to control your own agenda. So setting that path forward. However, for myself, it, um, I'm not saying it happened by accident, but uh, it was almost a sort of series of opportunities that took through. The one thing that I can say, though, is that I never had a career ceiling uh, within my mind. I didn't have a limitation of where I could get to. Did I think I'd get to be sort of a a marketing CMO of a global organization or a CEO or a regional president? Did I ever think I'd write a book? No, not at all. Um, but I never had a career staller or a blocker with an ambition. And I think that's the key element in a lot of your viewers and listeners. Um, they're entrepreneurial and they know no limiting beliefs. Um, and it's not cockiness or arrogance. It's just a mindset of possibility and ambition of what could be done. I'd like to say I was a little bit more planned and it was all uh, staged within that, um, but I think it was a little bit of luck and draw as well. I understand and I've worked the corporate ladder and I've gone all the way up to VP sales and marketing and then running my own company. And it seems to me that as you move up a ladder or a couple steps, then you kind of think, well, at least for me, what about the next step? Or at some point, not right away. I mean, you land in a job, you really want to get that going. But then at some point, I think, at least for me, I always wonder, what's it like the next level up? And once uh, I, once you once you go to CEO, it's like quite, you're, you're at the top of the top of the corporate scene, which is really cool. I guess the next thing after that is having your own company or being your own founder or something like that. 
Yeah. And I, and I think behind that is a strong purpose. And I love to know what's that purpose that you had that kind of brought you all the way on up. I think probably like most people, when you start from an early age, and I think the I'm actually very optimistic around uh, the new generation of leaders and, and people, but in my time, it was all around me to begin with, and it was very self-centered. Um, and I think probably when I started at my sort of 30s and 40s, um, I realized the enjoyment factor from a leadership was more around unlocking potential within others. And... That's a really cool feeling. It's a little bit selfish on that, but when you do it and you see the potential and the dormant potential um, within others, when you unlock that, it's a very liberating feeling as well. And I think the other thing is, Tony, when we probably all come into this, there's a great quote that says, performance without purpose is meaningless, but purpose without performance is impossible. And I really like that. And as I got a little bit older, I have become more purposeful around others and how you sort of help and support. And I do believe companies and corporations, whatever side, they move with pace, they can make a difference. They don't get sort of uh, bogged down within bureaucracy. Um, So I believe they really can make a difference within purpose. But at the same time, unless you are efficient, effective and performance oriented, your reach and impact on others is going to be limited. So I think I've always had that. And it's probably like everyone, you get shaped within your values. Mine have always been trust, dignity, and respect. Um, I try and follow those. Do I get it right all the time? Hell no. (laughs) I've made many mistakes along the way. Um, But I think I'm definitely a better leader, and I hope a better person, father, husband, uh, now than uh, definitely I was 20 years ago or 30 years ago. A lot of people say that wouldn't be too hard to achieve, but uh, um, it feels better. We're talking about how to get respected and liked as a leader in 2022 with Hamish Thompson. And you can find him at hamishrthompson.com. There's a couple different ways to spell it. So let's spell it out. H-A-M-I-S-H, that's Hamish, the letter R, and T-H-O-M. S-O-N.com, HamishRThompson.com. Did I get that right? You got it right perfectly, Tony. Good. Check that out. You'll find a lot there as well as about his new book, which we're going to talk a little bit. We're going to go into some of the chapters and talk about this and, and try to get as much information as we can on how to become really respected and, and well thought of as a leader. Now, as I've kind of mentioned about my own little corporate reality, and you know, one thing I didn't mention yet is, Hamish, this is way back when. This is not necessarily today. It's a different landscape. I don't know today's landscape in the corporate world, but I'm used to leaders always being right about things. They're right. The leader says, this is the way it goes. And They would use force or even threats as needed to make everyone follow their way. I mean, your paycheck depended upon that leader. And if he said, this is what we're going to do, even if you disagree with it, you know, it can be an argument. And then what, you know, he's paying the paycheck. You kind of get this little compromised. And this is how I grew up in the corporate world. And it wasn't always the best for me. And as you become more, uh, aware of it, more experienced, you realize that you want your own company to run things your way, perhaps. 
But now we're doing a, a 180. You say leaders should stop being right. It's, um, I think I'm probably similar to you, Tony, and I'd like to think that it has changed over the years, but uh, I still think majority of corporate leaders believe that they need to be right, and that's been ingrained within you and you're trained within that in early stage. I'll give you my own sort of perspective from almost day dot, um, every debate, dialogue, discussion that I'd have, I would always try and be right. I always thought there was a winner and a loser. There was intellectual sparring. And to be honest, I was quite good at it. Majority of times I won that sort of transactional outcome. Um, but then as you started to reflect on a few things, it's incredibly limiting. And the areas that I sort of found very quickly, when you insist on being right the whole time, firstly, your thought diversity and your perspective and your openness to new ideas is incredibly limiting. And I'm a person who believes that insatiable curiosity just makes everything better looking at that perspective. But when you're right, you value your opinions ahead of those of others. Great leaders, I think, value others ahead of themselves. And yes, there's a hierarchy in decision-making and you eventually have to take that as a leader but you need to have that insatiable curiosity. So very limiting from a thought perspective. The other one which um, I found quite fascinating is that the breakthrough and the transformation of results that I look back over time, they normally only happened when I had a relationship that was mutual, but it was also enduring. So it was those stage two and three relationships where I had known the person, known the company, and we've had a trust and a depth of relationships that was incredibly powerful, day one trust that actually existed. And that's when the breakthrough happens. Now, if you're always right as a leader, you're not gonna develop those relationships. Nobody wants to partner with somebody who's always right. It's the same in regard to a personal angle. I think I've been told that by my wife and kids more time over COVID than uh, probably as a CEO, actually. And the last one, Tony, which really sort of, hurt individually, it goes back onto this about unlocking development of those people who report into you. When you're always right, nobody challenges you. Nobody wants to enter a debate or a discussion or put a new perspective to you because they'll always lose. And what that leads to, it resigns people to inertia. And great leaders despise inertia and despise that untapped opportunity or potential. So, I've started to look at and the advice uh, that I've been given for a number of years and trying to take on myself, stop being right the whole time. You show compromise, show vulnerability, show humility, um, and it just opens up that mind. And I had a great boss from Asia Pacific, uh, Samson Soon. He said, Hamish, your mind works like a parachute, best when open. And uh, it just summed it up incredibly well for me. I agree with you completely. And one counter thought, if you want to call it that, comes to mind, which is leaders have to be strong. They have to take charge. They, they're they the ones that are the spearhead against controversy, diversity, uh, barrier in the road. They're the ones that lead the charge. You know, in the old, old, old days, the, the king of a realm or, or the, uh, whoever would run a region, they would be the ones in a battle to lead the charge. You know, it's historic that the, the, the leaders there and say, we're going to do this. We're not going to let that enemy come in. 
charge and people would would muster and rally behind this leader and and because of that historically the leader he's he's strong the leader says this is the way we do it nobody dares argue with him and and it's a new concept for me perhaps for some others it, maybe maybe not that the leader can be wrong and that it's not a sign of weakness but it's it's a sign of growth and i i, I feel i want to drill into that a little bit more if you can give any more perspective on that please yeah i, I liked your terminology Amanda, that it's uh, not a sign of weakness it's a sign of growth and um personally there's no one leadership style that works we we all know that i favor the unassuming leader who almost takes a back seat they seek to understand before they're understood they will let others put their views across before they do, even within a meeting format. It makes a big difference in its own right. I think one of the dangers, though, Tony, is that when you shelter your teams and those people around you because you are the stoic leader and you take that responsibility and accountability on, so when there's pressure valve or tension within your organisation, you will shield and protect your team. And I like that. It's a thing that people with good values actually do. But it is very restrictive in regard to giving other people around you those development and stretch opportunities. And it's something I've sort of grown to appreciate that it doesn't all have to be around the leader. The leader doesn't have to be the one to step up, make all the difficult decisions. The great leader actually will place that out to others, put them within a challenging situation, but coach and develop them as opposed to direct them. And the other thing which I I fell into the trap very early as a leader, I wanted to get my teams to love me. And engagement and all the Gallup surveys, et cetera, is all around, did my teams admire, respect, and like me, which is important. We'll probably talk around liked later. Um, however, it's very easy to be liked and loved, potentially loved, by your team because if your team doesn't get on with you, it doesn't really impact the leader. It impacts those individuals. They won't get the promotion. They won't get the development opportunity. They'll get the crappy little jobs, etc. The art of a leader is to get your team to love and support each other, to have the crucial conversations, care amongst themselves, as opposed to it all being around you. So it is a, it's a happy medium. It's a happy balance on it. But uh, there's no right or wrong. Um, but I just know that I think over time it has started to change within that genre. And flipping through your book, there's a, something that caught my attention early on, your concept of drains and radiators. And so I'd like to leave it to you and kind of explain this and how does this, how, how one deals with this and works with this in an organization. I think we probably all know the concept and they, uh, the words themselves, I think, describe it. But let's face it, and this happens within personal life and also within business and even, you know, alone own individually, we all have drain moments. So a drain is essentially what they, uh, what it stands for. They drain and suck the lifeblood out of possibility. There's a negative element. There's a pessimism within that. Um, they have limiting beliefs in regard to ambition and opportunity and possibility. And I used to say there's nothing worse than a leader having drains within your organization. I think there is. It's 
having drains that impact the rest of your organization. A leader should be able to take that negativity, but it spreads like wildfire. And I detest limiting beliefs that happen. Now, unfortunately, there are always a lot of drains within an organization, particularly when they've had historical success or they're technically or functionally very, very strong. Um, but I'll talk around what I think you need to do with uh, with those type of individuals. Now, Radiator, on the other hand, does exactly what they say. It's uh, they radiate possibility. There's belief, there's ambition, they have drive, they're results oriented. Um, there's a great quote that says, uh, don't confuse motion for impact. Now, these people, they do motion, they do activity, but they actually put it in place and get impact and results for it. Importantly, though, um, a good radiator is not a Pollyanna. They don't see the, uh, the positivity in everything. They will challenge the provocateurs. They will have crucial conversations. Um, but when they go into things, they are always seeking that possibility. And for your group of uh, listeners and, uh, and viewers, there are practical steps. You can actually recruit in regard to questions for impact. You can recruit and ask questions in regard to future possibility and ambition, and you'll find very quickly that someone is a drain or a radiator within that. My hiring philosophy, Tony, is a concept called C plus W is greater than E. Curiosity and willingness, which I term willingness and passion, is often greater than experience. And when you get those radiators who are integrators and connectors of others, it's incredibly powerful. You can bring them into the organization and they make a difference from, uh, from, day, uh, from day one. The other thing to do is I always used to put on key projects, uh, functional technical experts as the project leads. And over time, I realized that the best results come from placing radiators, integrators, connectors, best people relationships at the head of those projects regardless if they know the technical or functional ability. And it's such an easy concept, but we forget that so many times. And then the other one, as I said, um, I wish, there's probably three or four instances in my career where I should have moved quicker on removing drones from the organization. Um, and I didn't because they were technically very strong, but the negative impact they had was more of a deliberating factor uh, than their technical skill set. Um, and when you do that, it's actually better for those individuals as well. They go to individual contributor roles or to an organization uh, that doesn't need that radiation or, uh, or possibility mindset. Uh, so that's the concept. Um, I put it ahead of any engagement, customer satisfaction, or anything. Get the right people on the bus and uh, make them radiators. It's very tough in an organization because the ones that are the drains can be the poison and can really sour the field and the employee workplace. And the radiator whom you love working with may not be the most well-knowledged uh, person or knowledgeable person technically. And that could create an issue, especially for the drains who feel that someone surpassed them in a, in a promotion or something. It's very interesting in the politics of an organization, which kind of bumps up against this next chapter that I looked at, which is in an organization, people leave tech. They say they leave because of a 
bad boss. And one of your chapters is titled bad bosses are great bosses over you to explain that one, please. It is true, Tony. And all the research actually shows that uh, people will leave an organization um, majority of times because of their line manager, that relationship they actually have. And that's, again, it's another reason why relationships are so key. And normally, let's face it, there will always be times within your career where you'll have a bad boss or a number of bad bosses. Um, I've been very fortunate. I've had wonderful companies in regard to advertising, Reebok, Mars, where it's been uh, really good bosses. However, I still have had uh, had one or two within my career. And when you get that bad boss, you stop your development. You get into sort of prove mode, trying to really impress. You don't challenge or you don't provide fresh input within there. And you do everything within your power to move to a different department, different organization, uh, different boss in its own right. And what I've found over time is that one of the best things around when you have a bad boss, you really need to leverage that learning. And that content and that context is absolutely huge. And there's that concept we all know about negativity bias. You learn and hold true more things that go wrong in your mindset than things that go right. And within a bad boss, if you ingrain that leadership behavior around I will learn and vow never to repeat this behavior, these values, as opposed to what can I learn from a great boss, it's actually incredibly valuable. You indoctrinate that and ingrain that within yourself and you vow to never repeat that. So I always look at, and I've actually got a file that I've, uh, that I've set up labeled bad bosses and I actually place through the insights on there, their behaviors, their value, the way they treat people, if there are technical or functional processes, et cetera, that I don't feel have been done well, I look at that and again, negativity bias, I vow to actually uh, never repeat that. Um, the other thing that I would say is though that every bad boss will have strong features and you need to actually seek those out and really actually look for those. So I've had bad bosses in the past that I've thought are terrible and I wanted to get out. Now, within reflection, I look at the content and the context of some of their grillings and hard serves that they've given me, and there's incredibly learning opportunities from them. Um, so I think there's always opportunity to leverage a bad boss, not only on what they wouldn't do, but you do need to seek into uh, what their specific skill sets are. Um, that said, you don't want too many over your course of your career. Absolutely. And I actually would like to define very quickly a bad boss, because as you were talking about bad boss is a great boss and so forth. Once upon a time, I should say, I know a boss who took money from the company and that was bad. And that was really a weird so it's not that type of a bad boss. Now you're talking to an Italian. So there's also hey, a bad boss is a great boss. I'm being a little silly here. So I'd like to define better. What do we mean by a bad boss in, in terms of how that really can, as you said, develop into a great boss? Well, let me slightly turn it around and I'll say, I'll define what I feel is a, is a great boss. And a great boss to me is somebody who inspires through vision and purpose. So very first and foremost, they're inspirational. And I do believe, regardless of size or scale of business, anyone who works for you 
they want an inspirational purpose and a reason for being. And I know we all talk around the why, but that's that's a factual element. A bad boss does not inspire anyone to actually step up and uh, beyond that. A great boss will actually provide very clear strategic direction and guidance. And a lot of people think it's all around freedom, autonomy, and off you go and you can play your own right. You provide a framework. Great bosses provide a framework and very clear strategic choice and clarity of choice. A bad boss will leave that incredibly open. A good boss will then coach and develop and empower you with freedom and autonomy to execute against those. And they'll set you stretch goals. They'll occasionally put you within a panic, but they'll hold your hand where need be and they will actually stretch you on that. And then equally, a good boss will have crucial conversations with you and they'll have open and authentic conversations with you. And even though they can be crucial and they can be hard conversations, a good boss is somebody who actually cares for you directly. And because they care, they will have those crucial conversations. And I've found this over time. We do know that it's your friends, your family, your partners, those colleagues who actually care for you. They have the tough conversations with you. And those are the ones that actually get through your mindset as well. And the last thing I'll say around a good boss, great bosses value your authentic self. They try and refine and develop you, but they won't actually inherently change who you are. They like your perspective. They like your fresh, uh, fresh ideas and they like your authenticity. And I have a concept that I call the 98% rule. And in most organizations, you get a lot of feedback from bosses and everything. Let 98% of it, including probably what I say, go over your shoulder. It's the 2% that you take. Be curious to the rest of it, but don't change who you are. Just refine who you are. So I think that makes a, a good boss. And then uh, the converse to that is obviously the bad boss. Those who lose the values, and one of those you mentioned in regard to corporate fraud, etc., um, well, hell, that's a, that's a different league. And that's going back to your Soprano days there, Tony. <laughs> Another point on this in your material on a great leader is that they write their own agenda and lead change versus manage change. So I'd like to go into that and why that's important and how can we entrepreneurs and business owners make that happen? It's a, I have, um, in some ways, I've been a little bit lazy within the book, but every chapter that I've written, I've got a different contributing author to come along critique it. And as I said, I like challenge and perspective. And I've got 17 leaders of industry, advocacy, diplomats, uh, global sort of CEOs, consultants, lawyers, etc. And they review each of my chapters and I've asked them to challenge. Sometimes they disagree passionately with what I've said, but which I like, um, but it adds a new perspective. And the reason I mention that, virtually every single one of them are forward thinking and like to control your agenda. Now, personally, I'm the person who's consistently and constantly dissatisfied. There's healthy dissatisfaction and that's looking for opportunities when things are not going well. I'm constantly dissatisfied. So that means even when things are going well, I'm looking new ways of working, new methodologies, what's new and what's different. And you need to manage yourself very clearly. But I'm very much a person who I think a great leader in a great organization will stay ahead of that curve. They'll fix things before broken. 
they'll lead versus manage, and they'll stay in control of their agenda. And I'll give you a uh, an interesting fact that came through, which uh, I think was a McKinsey or a Bain survey, which I was involved in a few years back. 90% of global CEOs believe that there will be a massive business disruption or change within their business model in five years. And all your listeners and viewers will know that as well. The pace of change is accelerating. However, they only invested 10% of resources to get ahead of that change. So what do you need to do as a leader to start preparing for change, investing resources, capabilities and competencies ahead of the curve? So you don't wait for two or three years down the track when suddenly you're forced to change. How do you actually start investing ahead of that curve? And as I said before, I'm a New Zealander and as a, the All Blacks, our rugby coach, Steve Hansen, ex-coach, he said, you don't need to lose to learn, but it sure helps. But how do you make sure that you're not forced into changing because you've lost? And that's why I think around actually getting ahead of the curve. And there's multiple, I think I've got about 40 models which I've put within the book, and there's multiple ones about how you get ahead of the curve, how you set a 30% stretch objective that forces you to do something completely different, that forces you to get connectivity and partnerships out of your silo mentality and, and way of thinking that converts great insights and, uh, and data into actual action as opposed to sitting there. So uh, there are methodologies to force it. Uh, it can be quite a demanding sort of style, but uh, I'm a passionate believer in how you can get ahead of that curve. And one of those things, Tony, which I didn't do myself was plan enough in advance of where my career took me. And I see too many times great people follow someone else's career trajectory. Sometimes it works out okay, probably half and half. It doesn't get them in the direction that they want to get to. So forward planning and visionary aspect, I think, is very key. I want to make sure to get in a question here about sales and advertising and then back to leadership, because I really like some points that you make. And in terms of advertising and what makes good advertising, we're all entrepreneurs, we're business owners, we like to advertise, or even if we promote and talk about ourselves on social media, which a good number of us do, there's three important words that you talk about. I'd like you to, to take it from there. The words are noticed, remembered, and understood. Can you tell us how that relates, not just to advertising, but to our own personal leadership brand? Yeah, it's, um, and as I said, I started out with an advertising uh, many years ago within London, and there are so many definitions and methodologies of what makes great advertising, but I think uh, Chap Bruce McColl, who is uh, who's the global CMO officer with Mars Incorporated, and it stuck with me for a long time. You get those three elements right within advertising and you're away. And as you said, they're equally applicable within personal branding. So the first element is you have to be noticed. And regardless of anything else, you need to be noticed. And within advertising sense and within digital, that used to be a 15 second minimum within a 30 second or a 90 second uh, piece of TV creative. Now within digital, uh, that is essentially your first two to three seconds. Same within your personal element. Where's the risk-taking, the putting your hand up for stretch assignments, having those crucial conversations, putting new perspective on the table? 
how do you get noticed in the first place? And you don't have to be an extrovert or excessively charismatic to be able to do that, but you do have to have bravery and courage to actually put yourself up. But notice is the very first element. And the second one is obviously remembered. How do they associate that to, in the advertising case, to a specific brand? So what are those distinctive assets that uh, you've got that are related to your brand or to, in this case, your personal leadership brand? So what are those signature assets that you always have? Some people in regard to presentations, they'll be known for a particular element. Um, I'm known for my constant dissatisfaction, for writing on napkins at lunches, handing over numerous ideas and concepts um, for a particular New Year's letter around what would I do within your shoes? I've done that for around 20, 30 years. So what are those signature assets that are uh, consistently recognized back to you to be remembered? And the last one is obviously understood. And that's around consistent portrayal of your values. Great brands are consistent year after year. Executionally, they will change, but their persona, their personality, their values are very consistent over time. And as a leader, that's where I go back to being about uh, being very authentic. You cannot chop and change. You can refine, but you need to be very consistent within, uh, within who you are. So it's a... Uh, it may simplify it a little bit easier, and there are models within that, but notice, remember, and understood um, really works for advertising. You don't need big advertising budgets and research methodologies to, uh, to, to know that. But equally, I think it does work for leadership and, uh, and personal leadership brands as well. Hamish, what can you tell us about establishing a very ideal corporate culture the boss is liked, he's respected, he's working with the people. It's not done overnight, but there are specific steps to accomplishing that. And I'd love to hear what you have to say about that. Yeah, I, um, I've probably over the years, I've uh, underplayed culture. And uh, there's a great, there's a curse of having a great culture. And I've been part of some real cultures where you walk into the room and you feel the vibe and the feel of the place and it's dynamic, it's electric, it's collaborative, it's innovative, it's creative. And you do take that for granted. That's that familiarity concept. It can be a dangerous thing. The, uh, the problem with a great culture, it has a curse. It's incredibly hard to evolve. And particularly when it's been successful in the past and uh, all cultures need to evolve over time. And I think the very first thing that uh, I advise everyone to do is you may talk culture, but are you actually taking it seriously? And that means within your strategic plan on a page, and all strategies should be one plan on a page. Yes, there's 50, 100 slides, but if you can't articulate what your strategy is, your vision, purpose, key goals, your strategic drivers and your key enablers, but also what is your cultural drivers that you have? So it must be first and foremost included within your strategic headlines. Secondly, most companies don't actually define a cultural statement. What does their actually company stand for from a cultural viewpoint? And attracting talent into your organization is incredibly important, retaining and developing them, but very few companies actually really define what that is. Equally, have you defined what your cultural um, dimensions are? So just as an example, some people talk around being agile. What does agile actually mean? 
what does it actually mean on a scale of where you are and where you want to get to? Um, when you talk around the ability to be risk-taking or bold, what does that actually mean? Have you set dimensions that are measurable on speed to market, new concepts introduced, new products introduced, timelines cut, reduced uh, research budgets to make, the, to make that happen? So those cultural dimensions really need to be set and actually defined. And then probably the other two, and it's been talked around a lot at the moment, uh, Dr. Michael Watkins, uh, who wrote The First 90 Days, he talks around the importance of an adaptive culture. And this is really key. And COVID has probably accelerated three things, as everyone knows. New ways of working and methodologies, adoption of new technologies and new business models. And only those of an adaptive culture that can react and uh, are agile enough um, a data-driven enough and also intuitive enough can actually take hold of those. And the last one, Tony, which is, again, it's a methodology on it. Most businesses, the big businesses, their biggest disruption is when they get a crisis of culture and that's a fraud, a sexual discrimination, a harassment case, et cetera, a major quality or a major safety incident. So how can you prepare upfront leading and lagging indicators and look for those. What are the pressure valves within the business? Is there a lack of people? Are you setting unrealistic goals for people? Is there actually leading to a potential um, crisis within culture? Because as soon as a crisis happens, everything else uh, gets put to the side and it's a massive disruption. So I underplayed the importance of culture um, and it was only when I really sat back and I looked at all the dimensions and it is a bit of a process, but it enables freedom and opportunity when you have that process and procedures. Um, so I think it's it's vitally important, but uh, it was a weakness within my style that I um, I took it for granted. Hamish, one last question before we wind wind up, and that is on purpose. Purpose is so strong, so powerful. I write about it and I could talk about it for a long time. We've mentioned it a few times in this, in this interview. Purpose is so strong, it can, inf it can inspire people to do things that they never would have thought possible. I mean, if you go into a militarial sense, I know a story, which is a long story, about 40 people. You don't hear about this in history. It's been kind of suppressed. 40 people fought off over a hundred thousand and one. And it is, um, it is uh, just so there's no mystery. It was the 10th Sikh guru who fought, um, I'm just trying to think of his name, uh, Oren Zev and his uh, hundred thousand immortals. It's, it's just an amazing story and it's just too long to go into, but it's the purpose that is you can win and defeat you can win anything so how can our good leader how can we as a leader how can we inspire instill and grow that purpose in our employees or people that we hire out and our subcontractors for us i think the very first thing is you need to articulate very clearly what your purpose is and what you stand for and i think a lot of businesses at all levels they know it but they don't articulate it and often as a leader, you get a little bit of bored within your consistently repetitive uh, nature of when you talk around purpose, 
you often talk more around the what and the how as opposed to the why. And you need to consistently again and again remind those people who work with you, your partners, your customers, new employees, um, you know, attraction and retention, just consistently talk around your purpose. And then consistently and continuously operate against that purpose. And that means evidence of doing things that link back to your purpose, even if it's against short-term productivity results. And that's incredibly uh, and hard to actually do. Um, to make those sacrifices, particularly for public uh, uh, companies, um, as soon as you do that, you're going to have a market every quarterly wanting a financial result, etc. So it does take a, a fair bit of bravery to do. The one thing, though, I would say is that People have talked around purpose for many a year, and um, I don't think it's dramatically different from what it is. What is different nowadays is people are starting to invest, back, spend within companies and organizations that do do purpose. Previously, and there's a big difference between behavioral and attitudinal, so a lot of research would happen and say, would you buy this pen? directly if it was made from sustainable uh, sustainable items. And a lot of people would talk around, yes, of course I would, I'd pay 20% extra. Now that's attitudinal, but behaviorally, when you look at scan sales in regard to the results for this, nobody actually moved. That's changed over times now. So ethical funds um, are probably the top third of performing funds on an international basis now. Companies that have strong purpose in regard to either sustainability or better for the world results uh, and visions and prospects are outperforming those who don't now. So now behavior matches uh, attitudes. So my view is um, it does make a difference. It's the right thing to do. But if you're very single-minded from a business viewpoint, if you do it authentically, it really can be a game changer for success. And that I think pertains to all levels uh, of business, not just big uh, global corporations. Everyone has the ability. And a bit like unlocking potential, it's just a cool feeling when you get purpose right, making a difference beyond yourself. We discussed how to get respected and liked as a leader in 2022 with Hamish Thompson. And again, you can find him at hamishrthompson.com. Hamish, an amazing, we could we could do a whole series on this. I absolutely loved it. And I want to thank you so much for sharing with us today. Nice to be with you, Tony. Hey, thanks for hanging out with me while I featured an elite entrepreneur who took his vision to reality. I'm enthused and inspired about this. We discussed how to get respected and liked as a leader in 2022 with Hamish Thompson. You know, I've mentioned this before, I'm so used to leaders always being right about things and using force and even threats as needed to make everyone follow their way. If you don't have that in today's culture, how lucky and fortunate you are. But I sure had it way back when. And, you know, there's this very important point that he brings up right at the beginning. Leaders should stop being right. I love it. And we talked about the concept of drains and radiators, and we want those radiators in our business, who they are and what they are. And a little bit funny, we talked about bad bosses are great bosses, and we don't necessarily mean the Sicilian type, 
though I don't think so. Uh, just being a little silly there. Very, very good points. We talked about the need for great leaders to write their own agenda and lead change versus management change. And, you know, everyone has a view on what makes great advertising. And he talked about three key words, noticed, remembered, understood. And we discussed how they relate not just to advertising, but one's own personal leadership brand. And we talked about the organization culture. What specific actions can leaders take to ensure they get a competitive advantage versus others? We talked about how to inspire purpose in a team, how powerful it is, how it can really make the difference in a company's success or not, and so many other great points. So tell me in the comments below, if this is on the video platform, what was your takeaway? What did you like? What was the most important thing? Or if was there something that we missed that you would want us to bring? Because we only had so much time. I try to bring the most key points. But talk to me. Tell me what you like. And please remember supporting the show with a nice review on Apple Podcasts, as well as comments on the video platforms. And of course, I say this a lot now, share this with a few friends to help them to friends help friends succeed. After all, that's why they're friends. All right. Use this and let's help you move on your journey to success. Thanks. And remember, just take action. Success awaits those who persevere and remain steadfast despite the odds. Sow good seeds, do good deeds, and join me on the next episode of The Tony D'Urso Show. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of The Tony D'Urso Show with his key influencers. Be sure to tune in again next Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel.